leave meeting. No. <laughs> Don't leave the meeting. <laughs> Goodbye. No. No. I just remembered I don't want to. Yes, you do. We had an awesome time. <laughs> this was fun. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Cinderella podcast, a wonderful place where we watch and review every Cinderella adaptation we can get our hands on, discussing a similar story over and over again until we slowly go insane. I'm Liv. And I'm Talon. And today we watched The True Bride, made in 1989, which we're calling The White Line Cinderella. This is actually uh, an episode of the series The Storyteller, which is <laughs> a live action slash puppet television series created and produced by Jim Henson. So that's what we watched. It was really cool, guys. It was really cool. This is episode nine of season one, and it is kind of Cinderella adjacent. We're going to have to argue about this at the end, so we're going to just leave the whole question of whether or not this counts until the end. So we got we to gotta tell everybody what we just watched. That makes sense. So, <laughs> I, um... so we open with a puppet. And it's a guy sitting next to a big life-size lion puppet that's a very lovely, well-done animatronic puppet thing. And he tells us that we're about to hear a story that involves a lion. And then we cut to a different place. And we never see that guy and his lion again. Never. Never, ever. But we do see a different guy and later a different lion. No, I think it is the same lion. No, because no? that lion wasn't white. That lion wasn't white? I thought that was a white lion. Okay, in that case, I don't know what's happening anymore. It either is or is not the same lion. There, covered all possibilities. We're good. <laughs> so we're told that this is going to star John Hurt as the storyteller, mm -hmm. which I wasn't ready for. No. And that we're going to hear the romantic tale known as The True Bride. And then we see a fire and credits happen. And then we see John Hurt wearing prosthetics and... I don't know what he's meant to be, but he's meant to be like a creature of some kind, yeah. but not a troll because we see trolls later and they look very different. Yeah, I initially thought that he was a troll because I know that the story is about trolls. He's wearing an old jacket, like an old smoking jacket, but not a fancy old one, like a ratty old one. I have my notes. This looks like terrible universe Mr. Tomnus, the fawn. Yeah. Yeah, like, he's just kind of curly-headed, and he has big ears. Real scruffy. His clothes are kind of tattery, and he's in this big, tattery, wingback chair with a really scary puppet dog. Just a terrifying, terrifyingly humanistic puppet dog. The eyes are too human. The it's just so very human. uncomfortable. Yeah. It's a little brown dog with curls. It's a cute enough dog if you just don't look into the eyes. Just don't do it. Don't do it. It's like looking at a mascot and then behind the mascot eyes, you see the real person's eyes. Trapped forever in a horrifying... Yeah, no, just don't do it. It's not good. Glimpse beyond the veil. So anyways, John Hurt tells us that no one likes trolls. You don't want them as a friend. They don't even like each other. And we get our opening salvo, I guess, that there was a troll who had a daughter who ran away immediately. And he, the troll, adopts an orphan. And um, a lot of weird lines happen. The troll speaks in kind of Yoda-esque backward inversion sentences and uses a lot of words that are similar to the correct word, but not the correct word. Like it'll be a verb conjugated wrong specifically. Don't worry, I got almost all of them. So you are Good. in for a treat. Good. I got exactly two lines and just gave up so i have all the backgrounds and just my reactions perfect that's why we're a team yep the narrator tells us that this young orphan girl had more in store than to do for a troll she had a destiny and then he calls her enya like the singer even though i'm pretty sure her name was supposed to be anya based on the fact that it's spelled with an A. Yeah. So we see the hand of a troll. He's carrying a heavy stick. And we find out that this troll likes to beat Anya a lot. And that 
trolls are basically just terrible. They are very contradictory. So, like, the troll wants her to obey, but they can't abide obedience. So even when she does what he tells her to do, she's still in trouble. He beats her with a stick that he calls the contradiction stick. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they keep saying that her back is black and blue. Yeah, they say that a lot. Often. They say it often. Yep. And then the troll turns around and we see that he has the longest face I've ever seen. He looks like an alien. So this is either a baboon face or like a macaque face. This is just a, one of those monkeys that has comedically long faces. Like hysterically comedically long faces with giant chins and protuberant noses. He's got a nose ring. He's got a little ponytail top knot cap thing. His head takes up fully a third of his body size. He's very upsetting to look at. He very. looks like something out of the fifth element. Just like, just very uncanny, but also very solidly there. Like CGI doesn't feel like that. Mm-hmm. He's just He's very physically present, and I yeah. hate it. Yeah, again, this is this amazing puppetry that we get, which is truly fantastic. Uh-huh. In a Lovecraftian nightmare kind of way. I will have nightmares about this. I'm going to try really hard to never think about this again as soon as we finish this. That's a lie. I'm going to tell everybody about this. I had such a good time. <laughs> so this is one of the Cinderella's where she gets given a bunch of tasks to do. And the first one is to put 20 pounds of feathers back into a bag because the troll rips open this bag of feathers and the room is just full of feathers like a snow globe. The troll does not rip open the feathers. No? The troll says, remember, I'm being allergic, upsets nose, gets a shimmering and a shaking. Mm. Uh, Then he says, be thankful to me and full of great. And then he leaves. So she opens the bags because she has to strip the feathers and put them into other bags. Oh, okay. Cool. That makes sense. That's the task. To which the uncanny puppet dog says, but that's impossible. And the narrator goes, oh, yes. And then we cut to the scene where Anya's surrounded just by feathers everywhere going, oh. <laughs> so let's describe Anya for a second. Yeah, please do. <laughs> So Anya is going to appear a couple of different ways in this, but right now she has very blonde hair that's straight, cut a little bit past her shoulders with straight bangs. She has a little scarf thingy tied around her head like a hairband. She's wearing a brown dress with a plaid brown and blue skirt with a white under tunic thing. And it looks very sort of poor Scottish Highlands. Mm-hmm. She will eventually speak. (laughs) Oh boy, will she. And um, the accent was very jarring, but we'll get to it. (laughs) It was outrageous. Yeah, so Anya is sitting around, not happy about all these feathers, and Aslan shows up. I have in all caps, white lion, because it's just a big white lion. And it's very dramatic. There's very good lighting. If anybody has watched the 1980s BBC production of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, this lion looks exactly like that lion, but a little bit paler. It moves the same way. It flies the same way. It's going to fly later Mm -hmm. over similar backgrounds. So this is just, I think this is set in Narnia. (laughs) I, I lobbied pretty hard for this to be the Narnia Cinderella. She doesn't go to a different land. That's the key for me. Okay. If she had been transported to a different kingdom even, but she's never, so. Mm. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's fair. But I think this definitely takes place in Narnia. Okay. Yes. Great. So, Aslan shows up out of nowhere. They address this. <laughs> Aslan tells Anya that he has come from her thoughts. She thought, is there no one in the whole wide world to take pity on me? And he said, yes, it is me. I have come to take pity on you. Yep. He tells her to sleep. And Anya is like, I can't sleep. I have a lot of things to do. Uh, she says a line that she says often, which is, I cannot. I have no father and no mother. And the troll is my other. Yes, she says that line a whole bunch of times. But 
Aslan tells her to go to sleep anyways, and we cut to her waking up. There's a big pile of bags and no feathers at all. Yep. I would not say that the room is clean. It's kind of a dirty floor with straw all over it. It's a troll house, and I guess mm -hmm. troll houses don't get clean. Mm -hmm. But the feathers are all packed away. Yep, no feathers. So now can we talk about her accent? She has a Cockney accent. It's incredible. It's so like, well, I love governor. It's, <laughs> Talon is not exaggerating. That is exactly <laughs> what Anya sounds like. No one else has a Cockney accent at all in any capacity. She also moves her face so much. But not in a continuous way and not in a normal way. She'll just go like medium speed, one giant facial expression, second giant facial expression, and just hold it for a beat. It's like someone trying to dance for the first time where they're like, hold, two, three, four, jump. Too. that's what she's doing with her face it's very exaggerated and very theatrical in the sense that it's not meant for the screen yeah no this would have done really well in a theater watching from 20 feet away i would have been like oh my gosh i can see her facial expression so the troll is mad at her for succeeding and yells at her for smiling and tells her to go to bed without supper and she makes a very uh, face in the background which is pretty funny Mm -hmm. and there's bugs on the floor and my notes just go ew 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 bugs on the floor no thank you no thank you no thank you yeah I didn't like that nope and then out of contrariness I guess the troll opens one of the bags of feathers and it turns out he is actually allergic because he starts sneezing all over the place so if he didn't expect her to succeed why would he give her a task where he genuinely is allergic. Because he's he's contrary. He's a contrarian. He's contradictory, <laughs> Talon. This is wild. <laughs> yep. So the next morning, the troll comes to Anya and goes, Arise and wake, I'm having another job for you. And they get up and they walk past this beautiful house and mm -hmm. they walk over these like hills and meadows and then through this forest and they stop in front of a pond and they're surrounded by trees and it's kind of darker now. It looks like a bog. This looks like where you get lost to begin a fairy tale. It's very mysterious. Yes. And the troll goes, so observe this pond. Deep, you'd say, and you'd be right. Depth aplenty. Drain it. Drain it with your spoon. And if I be recurring, there be a drop. If I so much as get my footsie wet, heaven help me. And then he storms off and Anya picks up her spoon. And it's kind of like a ladle. And of course, it's full of giant holes. It's a colander. It's just a colander. No, because they don't make colanders with holes that big. What would you use that for? I mean, it's colander-esque. In the sense that it's a big spoon with holes. It looks like Swiss cheese. It does, yeah. You're correct. Every time Anya moves, there's a tinkling sound, and I'm like, is she wearing bells? No, it's worse. No, it's worse, but just know that she's tinkling a lot as she moves, and I was really confused about what, because she's certainly not wearing any jewelry or anything. So she watches sadly as water just pours through her spoon, and she looks to the one side, and Aslan is back. And then she goes... Oh, lion, my spoon is full of holes. <laughs> In the, my spoon is full of holes. It's the best. Oh, lion, my spoon is full of holes. <laughs> Guys, it's exactly what it sounded like. You cannot express to you more how much that it's is. It's just, it's so, it's outrageous. It's just unbelievable. It's incredible. I'm awestruck. And then the white lion says, you're tired, my little. Lie down and sleep. And she says, no, I dare not. My lord, the troll will beat me with his terrible stick. And then the lion shushes her and his lips purse on this giant lion puppet. The lips purse and he goes, shh. 
lie down. So she lies down and sleeps immediately. It's very uncanny how she does it, by the way. It's almost hypnotic or something, like a spell, because she just, she's out. Do we think that the lion has magic to just knock her out? Yeah, he can do other things. Why not? Yeah, I think so, too. So then the narrator says the lion pad padded to the pond, and he drank and drank and drank his fill, and long before sunset he had drunk it dry. And you see the lion puppet just lapping the water. It's very realistic. It's an amazing <laughs> puppet. I love this lion puppet so much. <laughs> I want this and lion puppet. Just, he's so majestic, but everything he does is so silly. The way he swooshes his face around and the way he just like very gently laps water with his little paws on either side of his face. I loved it. It was so great. If I had seen this as a child, he would have been my dream pet. Could you imagine just brushing his beautiful hair and putting like little clips and braids into it? I have news for you. I watched the BBC Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe as a small child many, 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 many times. It has this lion in it. So yes, I can absolutely imagine what that would be like. Better than a pony. So much better than a pony. Ah. So the troll stomps back to her and wakes her up and is standing literally right next to the pond, which we can see is maybe three feet deep and totally empty. And he looks at Anya and he goes, is the pond dry? And she sort of turns her head to the pond that he's standing right next to and goes, yes. And then he looks at the pond and he's like, what? I don't believe it. And he, I don't have any of these lines. So none of the things that I say as lines are going to be correct. But that's... He goes, are we sure? <laughs> yep. So he goes to check. And he falls and slips down the muddy end and lands in a big pile of mud and flounders around and gets very muddy. And the puppet dog laughs and is like, good, I'm glad he fell down. And the storyteller is like, oh, don't laugh because of that fall. Anya couldn't sleep that night for all the colors on her back. The bruises from the contradiction stick. Yep. Black and blue. Just a lot of abuse in this one, but we don't watch any of it, so. Okay. But we see the troll fall down, and we also laugh at him struggling like it's filmed very comedically. And the dog is the avatar for the audience. And then we're chastised by the film for laughing at the thing it presented to us as funny. And as if we are somehow complicit yeah, in, in Anya's I, abuse. I, I also felt uncomfortable about that. That made me have feelings that I didn't want to have. Yeah. So anyway... The narrator tells us that the wicked troll has another task worse than before, and he brings her back to the same pond, and he goes, all dry, you think? All finished? You'd be wrong. Now you can build me a palation, which I guess means a castle, a palace? I heard a palatial. A lot of the way that the troll speaks is very much as if someone is just transliterating a language incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Like, full of great instead of grateful, things like that. And as someone who is struggling to learn a new language, this made me feel attacked. Oh, it was one of those things that made me feel like the trolls were aliens because they speak very much like a species that understands that we are communicating with each other, but is not like super clear on what we're saying. Very much so. So the troll tells her to build this palatial for him and leaves. And we see her with a big stick trying to move a rock. And at the end of the day, we're told that she has moved one rock a few inches and it's broken her stick. It is also at this point that I realize that she is attached to something with a big metal chain. Yep, she's got a big chain around her waist with a giant padlock. Like the kind of padlock that you would put on like a school locker. Like a gate. Like yeah. A it's big. It's huge. It's the size of her hand. It's massive. And that is what is making the tinkly bell sound. The very high-pitched, chimey, tinkly bell sound is made by this massive Jacob Marley, I wear the chains I forged in life <laughs> kind of deal. Yeah. And 
then the white lion appears again and she's very happy and she runs to him to hug him and goes, oh dear lion, but now even you can't help me. I'm to build this palace and all its rooms and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And the lion goes, you are tired, my little. Lie down and sleep. And she does the whole like, I cannot, I dare not. And he goes, sleep, rest. <laughs> and so she just lies down and falls asleep. It's very weird. Yeah. Because she's like asking him questions and he's like, no, no, don't worry about it. Go to sleep. Literally. <laughs> Next, we see the troll kicking her awake and she leaps to her feet. And we can see that there is a massive weird palace in the background which we're going to talk about in a second. But she doesn't see it because it's, you know, behind her or something. And she's like, I'm sorry, I know I didn't do what you want. And then they both turn and see the palace. And Anya sort of whispers, oh, it's beautiful. And then the troll is like, no, there is a contradiction here. You didn't build this. I threatened to beat you with my stick. He says, there is being a contradiction. And where there is being a contradiction, we have to speak with our stick, don't we? And Anya just throws her hands up and goes, I don't know, probably. And the troll goes, definitely. And, and then just goes, look, rageous, rageous, as an outrageous, I guess. I, I guess. Because he's just distracted by the majesty of this palace. This palace is so weird, guys. It's so alien looking. It, yeah, I've got, it looks weirdly futuristic, like Lego Star Wars. It looks like retro futuristic, like what they thought the future would look like in the 30s. Yeah, so it has these eight big towers with massive, like... UFOs. Yeah, just big UFOs perched on them. And there's a huge minaret in the middle of this thing. And each tower is like 17 stories high it's it's weirdly smooth and round oh it's it's really scary smooth and it's got rocks around it but then when they approach it they are very not proportionally human size to how big this palace obviously is and it made me uncomfortable so yeah this is a really weird palace but the troll is happy mad he's mad because this is impossible but he is happy because this palace better suits a troll like him it's it's more like it for an important troll like him. Yes. So they go in and there's this beautiful table and it's got these candles and there's, I guess, a cooked swan in the middle of it and all these other dishes. So the troll chains Anya to a post that's in the middle of this beautiful room mm-hmm. and goes to sit down and is just eating chicken going, good, good, chicken, yes, good. And then he demands sherry and sends Anya to go look for wine through a random door. Yeah. But she can't reach it because she's on a chain. So the troll gets up and goes to the door himself. Meanwhile, Anya goes back to the table to get him a light, saying, oh, let me fetch a light for you. And he says, a troll can see perfectly clarified. And then he opens the door, steps through it, and immediately falls into a pit of darkness, screaming the entire way down. Anya goes after him, but the chain is too short, so she can't reach it. So she goes, oh, lion, quick, quick, the troll's in terrible trouble. And the lion appears to her and just goes, I know. (laughs) Yeah. They don't address that. And then we get this beautiful shot of the lion in profile biting through her chain it was magnificent it was oh my god it was the most incredible thing i've ever seen yeah now freed anya runs to the door and she looks down and she goes oh poor troll no father no mother and he was my other and the lion goes not for my little he was wicked and cruel i made the palace and i also made the door We're also seeing this shot from essentially the bottom of a well. We're watching a little tiny square of light with the two of them in it from at least seven stories up. We never see the troll again. He wasn't like 
hanging on to the lip of the door or anything. We don't oh, see yeah, no, the body dead. at the bottom. We don't see even the bottom of this thing. We're just, it's this all-encompassing blackness with a single square of light at the door. So I need to talk about this for a second. What? <laughs> like, I get the lion's premise of, I made the palace, I made the door, I didn't make him race through it. You were literally about to get him a light. I didn't do this. Oh, no, I literally think he's taking credit for it. Oh, okay. He's I like, that I was... made the palace, and I made the door. So he also made a specific place for her to get chained up, because there's very clearly just like a little wall yeah. with a big iron so thing. So she couldn't it. get through the door. Okay, okay, okay. I was envisioning this as the lion being like, I gave him a chance to not... No, I his... literally think he was like... Yeah, girl, I, why did you think there's a trap door in your palace? Okay, I did not, I, I think I agree with you. Wow, okay. <laughs> um, wow. Mm -hmm. If we had ad sponsors, I would want to take a break here and just like process this. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, do you need a break? Do you need a moment? It's okay if you do. No, just the realization that you are correct about the amount of murder that he is copping to right now is blowing my mind a little bit. Yeah, that's why he was like, I know. Okay. You I didn't guess... think that was like a villainous, like, no, dark thing I'm, to say? I seriously, I thought it was the, like, <laughs> follow direction story tale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, like, the mean girl doesn't feed the cat, or she doesn't do the thing she's supposed to do, and so instead of getting dipped in a bucket of gold, she gets dipped in a bucket of tar or something. Like Those both sound bad, but I get what you're saying. It, it's like that story with the one girl has yeah. frogs and mice and, yeah. like, snakes come out when she sleeps. Yeah. The other one has gems. So I thought it was like that, where the lion was basically saying he had the option to not do that, I am not morally culpable for this. All I did was present the opportunity. He could have just decided to stop being horrible to you, and then he wouldn't have died. Mm -mm, so no, I, yeah, no, <laughs> I agree with you. But like, I that was just the place that I was in, and the, like the changing of gears to the no, our fairy godmother Aslan just did a murder. Is I'm just my gears are grinding. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Okay, let's 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 go on. I think I'm gonna be okay. Let's just power okay, through. Okay, great. So the dog goes, good. I hated that troll. He was bad through and through. And then there he goes, yeah. And then says, our girl had a palace all to herself. What a transformation! For the first time in her life, Anya feels wonderful, wonderful. And we get to see Anya walk in her fancy outfit, her fancy new hairstyle in front of a mirror and walk past it and then double back and just like twirl and admire herself. She's wearing sort of a post-French Revolution dress, so it's like very early 1800s or very late 1700s. And she has long red hair now, big long ringlets and a little curls all over the top of her head. And I don't know why she has red hair. It looks very silly to me. It looks like very Queen Elizabeth, but with like a kind of mullet. Queen Elizabeth mullet is not an inaccurate description. And so because of her like very silly voice and her new hairstyle and just her very animated face, I started thinking of her as the queen from that season of Blackadder. Oh, from season two, Queen Elizabeth? Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Now I just want her to play Anya in this as that character so badly. Oh my god. <laughs> You've derailed me again. Congratulations. <laughs> You're welcome. But we're told that suitors flocked to her because they heard that there was a beauty all alone in the palace. And she has servants and stuff, but she's just this princess living alone. And we get told that Prince La-di-da of here and Prince La-di-da of there come to visit her. And we see her sitting in a throne in different dudes in i guess fancy clothes walk up and just bow we to her see and... them kind of from the back though yeah so we don't see their faces i i was gonna say faceless but that really implies that they don't have a face and this movie was horrifying enough without that concept so mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. so yeah just we see gentlemen from the back approach bow kneel whatever and leave and the narrator is like a trifle too much la or too much d and sometimes just plain da i kind of loved it it was great 
I wish we had got a princess on parade where they had to like wow her with like a gift or a talent. Yes. Or I wanted to see them be like rude or smug or like goofy. I don't know. Like I wanted, like I wanted princes on parade. So there's another fairy tale theater. It's not at Cinderella, but there is sort of a princes on parade. We get like one or two. Mm-hmm. And one of them is just dressed in this hilarious purple suit. And he's like the poshest posh that ever poshed. And he's like, no, I'm from Upper Wimbaum. We severed from Lower Wimbaum after the Watercrest Wars. <laughs> and after the Watercrest Wars is one of the lines in my household of just, yes, absolutely. <laughs> totally did that. That is so funny. So it very much had that sort of feel to it. And the storyteller tells us that a year goes by and one morning she walks out onto her balcony and I have, she sees a himbo gardener. She's sighing at her window and oh, who's this? Is what the narrator says. <laughs> we get sort of a weird shot of him from above. So we do see his face, but the angles are all strange and like I didn't recognize him. He's a hunk. Yeah, but he looks a bit like a himbo. It's a weird hairstyle for him. It's very long and straight. If you're going to have a dude have long hair, it needs to have a little bit of curl to it is what I'm saying. Or it's got to be like pitch black. He looks like a hot guy on the cover of a romance novel. Yes. Like a bodice ripper where he's like vaguely old timey, but a little hunky. And like he has his shirt partially open. He looks like the 1930s Robin Hood, but not in green. That's going to be just a me reference. All right. Okay. Everybody go watch the 1930s Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. It's amazing. So the narrator says he looks up. She looks down. He smiles. She smiles. Little fish swim up and down her back. And suddenly, each day, she wants flowers in her room, on her table, in her hair. And gradually, smiles turn to words, and words turn to whispers, and whispers turn to kisses. It's love. And the dog goes, she falls for the gardener? And the narrator is like, yeah, why not? Why she not? was a servant turned into a princess. So why not a gardener turned prince? Mm-hmm. And we see them in sort of a semi-silhouette. They're backlit, so it's not just black and white, but it's very soft, hazy lighting, and it's a little hard to see details about them. They're holding hands, and they go in for a kiss. The narrator tells us that this is love. And our gardener says, you are my true princess. At which point, something, no? You are my true bride. That's literally the title of. I'm not going to cut that. I'm just going to leave it. <laughs> Anyways, he goes, you are my true bride. And something triggered deep in my hindbrain. And my notes go into all bold caps. Holy Mary, mother of God, it's Sean Bean. A wild Sean Bean appears. <laughs> yeah, it's literally Sean Bean. Yeah. Sean Bean is the prince in this. Yep. Surprise. Surprise, Sean Bean out of nowhere. I was so excited. He's very dreamy. Oh, he now has a better outfit. Yeah. Like a fancier outfit, I mean. Mm-hmm. He's, oh man, he's attractive. So they say lovey-dovey words to each other. And she tells him, let no one else ever kiss your cheek. Never, ever. And the narrator says, never, he says, never, ever. The storyteller then says, but hurt lurks, pain prowls, sorrow simmers. And I was just like, I I know the story. I'm very familiar with this story in various forms, but this is just such a ride. It made it sound like they were going to have some sort of like fight. Yeah. It was just like, I thought that there was like hurt looks, not lurks. So I was confused (laughs) and the dog is also confused. And I was like, why? What happens? Does the troll come back? And then the narrator goes, oh no. Well, yes. In a matter of speaking, yes, he does. Yeah. So Anya's wedding day arrives, and she and Sean Bean are standing in the courtyard, and he's going to walk to the village to get better clothes. He's, he's basically going bride shopping, but for dudes, groom, groom shopping. He's going groom shopping. He's going to the tailor, the barber, the shoemaker, and some other places that also sort of rhyme. The haberdasher. Oh, great. I only know that because I really like that word. Anyways, he asks her to come with and she's like, no, I have to finish sewing my trousseau and you can't see it. So I can't go. So he leaves. 
um, before he leaves. She tells him that she'll count the minutes until he returns, and the narrator goes, and she does. She counts the minutes as they turn into hours, as they turn into days, and she counts her tears. One, two, three. Yeah. But but just the three. Just one, two, three. We're done after three. That's would be extravagant to have more than three tears. And then the dog goes, where was he? And the narrator says, no one knew. And Anya could stand it no longer. And basically, she sets out to go find him, but she doesn't appear to have a plan or to have taken anything with her. No. She just walked out. And now she's wandering in the snow, lost and dejected. Okay, but we have been in a physical set up until now. There's been physical things that she's interacting with. She's walking through the pages of a storybook right now. She's in a paper cutout landscape. It's very surreal. It was just a lot of white on white. No, like she's literally in a book. Like she's... I don't know. I was taking a lot of notes. I was mostly looking at her peripheral vision. The set changes dramatically and it will go... When we finally stop and she is in the snow, we are then back in a physical set. But this interim period where she's just wandering through stuff is just... I don't even know what it's called, but it it's like like she's the only person that's interacting with like actual animation now. It's like she's in an animated background, mm-hmm. but the background's not moving. It's just drawn, but she's in it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. She was very clearly the only three-dimensional thing, and it was really strange and surreal. Do you think she was walking between worlds? Yes, Narnia. There it is. There it is. <laughs> uh. So anyway, she's she stopped walking between worlds. She's in this white snowy landscape. She's just in like a fancy dress, just kind of staring straight ahead. Oh yeah, not even a cloak. And then the lion appears and he goes, Anya. And then she just gets on his back and he takes huge strides and he flies across mountains and other types of land that I didn't write down. Yeah, this long list of lands that he flies over will come back three times, and we didn't write it down any of the times because it comes really fast, but it's like over mountains and craters and hills and valleys and different land masses. And he takes huge strides and something about helter-skelter, which I didn't like, for a far-off land. Mm -hmm. And then there, inside of a town, the lion sets her down. And he says, now you must go. Take these. Inside there are gifts. Use them wisely. And he hands her just like three nuts in his giant lion paws. Mm -hmm. They look kind of like walnuts, but they're bigger than you would think. Yeah, they're about the size of a human fist. Yeah. And she goes, oh, thank you, dearest lion. And then she just goes, kind of takes two steps, and there's a dude on a horse, and it's the guy. It's our gardener prince. Yeah, it's Sean Bean. And she's like, oh, my beloved, it's you, my beloved, hello. My darling. And he just looks at her the way you look at someone who you've never seen before who just starts calling you beloved darling. And is like, uh-huh, uh-huh, like awkward smile, and just tips his hat and continues to ride past her. So he definitely, like, acknowledges her presence and is friendly, but is also, like, very cool and clearly does not respond to her on any emotional level. Yeah, clearly does not recognize her. This is how you interact with a stranger. Mm-hmm. And then, and I have, I have just that she cockney whines, and after that, she just makes cockney whining sounds. Well, she goes, no, no! Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, um... <laughs> It can't be, it can't be. And then she looks into the distance and is it the troll? No, it can't be, he's dead. But there's pearls and a hint of silk at the throat. It must be, but it can't be. It's his daughter. Twice as ugly, twice as foul. And she's made off with the prince. Yep. And then John Hurt, our narrator, goes, she searched the world and he's forgotten her. He's gone off with a trollop. And the dog gasps. The dog is shook, y'all. If this dog had pearls, it would be clutching them. The troll daughter is referred to as a trollop for the rest of the film. 
I don't know if I hate it or if I love it because it's such an obvious pun. Troll yeah. up. Yeah. But also, I, I don't know. It did not bother me. I was not offended by it. I think partially because trollop is at this point such an outdated and cutesy word. Oh yeah, definitely. Like if someone called me a trollop right now in an angry tone of voice, I would be like, aw. You're like <laughs> boop your nose. It's adorable. Like I mean, that was literally like something we said back and forth to each other in high school. Yeah, that is something that my husband actively calls me right now. I have a mug with like pernicious trollop on it. It's great. Oh cute. But yeah, so if they called her like a whore, that would have been a problem. But like, I don't have any problem with Trollop. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> so then the narrator says, but then her resolve straightens. And she says to herself, I am the true bride and he is my beloved. And then she goes to a village and just starts talking to a person. Okay, but she doesn't go to a village. She's walking through a tapestry. Yes. We're, we're seeing this like a tapestry, like woven threads. But she and the villagers are rotoscoped? I don't know. No, they're definitely there, but the villagers are kind of smudgy. It's a tapestry. They're, they're walking through a picture. It was fascinating. It's visually fascinating. I could look at it forever. It was very interesting. So the villagers tell her that the troll's daughter went to visit her father and... And he had disappeared. Yeah. And so I guess she took the prince. She just found a prince there. We're told that the troll's daughter loves gold and that she collects handsome men like ornaments. She calls them ornamen, which was an amazing pun. We also learned that he's under her spell and that they're betrothed. Yes. My notes, just every other sentence is, they're literally in a tapestry. <laughs> One line of notes. Seriously, it's a tapestry. Another line of notes. It's tapestry. Just, my notes are horrible. They're terrible. This conversation starts out with one villager, but more villagers keep gathering and just chiming in and being like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's got him under her spell. Everyone's talking about this, like, very casually, mm -hmm. and it's just known that they live in a village with a troll lady who just does this. Yeah, well, I mean, later, I think the troll's daughter announces that she is the queen, and in all the stories that I've, all the versions of this that I've read, she is usually the queen of that place. I am going to ask you about that in the after party. Okay. So Anya has a plan. And she walks up into this courtyard and she smashes one of her walnuts and begins to pull out a comedic amount of very thin, gauzy fabric. And it's very pretty colors. It's blues and greens and oranges and peaches. It's lovely colors. And it's just pulling out yards and yards and yards and yards of this fabric. And the troll's daughter sees this from an upper window and is like, I need this. Why don't you do the line? I have the line. Why don't you do the line? She goes, Oi, that's being lovely prettiness. I'm descending. Is there a cost involved? I'm expecting it as a gift for your queen. And Anya goes, <laughs> This is like the only line I have. Anya goes, It's magic. It cannot be sold, only exchanged. And what does she want to exchange it for, Liv? She wants to exchange it for a night with your betrothed. The troll's daughter has taken this fabric in her hands and has put it over her comedically long snoot and is just smooshing her face against it and rubbing her little three-fingered puppet hands through the fabric over her face. And then she's like, oh, she hears this request and she goes, no, that's, or no, I won't allow it or whatever. No, she goes, no, not my ornament. <laughs> And Anya says, fine, then you must keep what is yours and I what is mine, and starts to tug the fabric away from her. But the troll's daughter is really, um, really erotically into this fabric, mm -hmm. just making very, very sexual noises. She rubs it on her face. Yeah, and just rolls around rubbing it on her face and knows literally making orgasm sounds. It was very uncomfortable. But she agrees to let Anya spend a night with her betrothed. Anya is hopeful. We just, we literally cut to just that night in his room and she's opening the door and slipping in and she's like, oh, once we're alone, surely he'll know me, but he won't wake up because the troll's daughter has drugged him. Yep. And Anya goes, my love, my dearest, it's me. It's your true bride. And then she sees like a glass on his nightstand with whatever it is that's knocked him out. 
and she realizes that she won't be able to wake him up and so she's got nothing to do but try again yep we just cut to the next day and she smashes another walnut and an endless amount of gold coins pour out of this nut and the troll's daughter again appears at the balcony wearing the fabric from yesterday and i had to pause the movie i made so many mouth sounds she looks like a pastry shop exploded onto her (laughs) it's this high-waisted thing and i say high-waisted which is weird because it extends like her face extends below the waistline of this gown and it's all this gauzy fabric with multi-layered frilly sleeves and it's blue and peach and green and purple and pink all just like swished together and tied in weird little knots and bows and this long flowy skirt with just stripes and strips and handfuls of fabric And I write all these mean things about it. And then she descends the stairs. Like, here's my note. Blue gauzy stuff on her weird knife hat thing. Orange and green and peach and pink. Just like a clownish nightmare gown. She has rouge. Okay. Okay. I would wear this dress. I'm so ashamed. Because as soon as she descends the staircase, I'm like, oh, that's actually really pretty. I would totally wear that. Look at all those colors. It's so shiny. It's so flowy. It's so floofy. I would, I would wear the heck out of that. I didn't mind her dress at all. I was giggling at the fact that it looked like she put a, a cup upside down on her head and then balanced a piece of the blue cloth on top of it. Mm-hmm. It just looked very precarious to me, and I found that kind of humorous. Yeah, it's great. So the same thing happens again. This time, the troll's daughter flings herself onto the ground and rolls around in this pile of coins. And Anya has brown hair now. Mm -hmm. It's dark brown. It's not red anymore. Mm -hmm. It's the same style, though, with the long, long ringlets and the little tiny curls up by her face. She opens the door again to Sean Bean's room, and she's wearing a different dress now. It's a different fancy dress. It's it's white with blue-gray stripes and sort of a wide blue ribbon and, like, stays. It's really pretty. It's very early 1800s. This is the best dress that she wears, and it looks the best on her. So I want her to stay in this dress. It's very cute. Yeah. And again, she whispers, darling, your true bride. Oh, beloved. And nothing happens. And it turns out she did not have a different plan. I assumed that she would try three times, but each time she would try something different. But it turns out that her plan is just to do the same thing that didn't work last time and not to use the new information she has discovered about the sleeping drought in order to make new choices so in the story that i originally read she does try to make new choices the first night she figures out that he's been drugged with the wine and so she like gets a servant to spill his wine or in some way infiltrates the palace and serves him different wine or stops him from being drugged through the wine but the troll's daughter shows up with like a hot milk right before bed Mm. and drugs him with like hot milk so in the story that i read she's not quite as dumb yeah so then the narrator says as for the prince his days are vague and his nights are dreamless stop him and ask him his thoughts and he'll go oh well and the trollop has rubbed away his past with her wicked spell he hasn't heard his true love singing the whole night through and weeping in the morning but the prisoners have. Yep. So we get introduced to the information that right facing this castle is a wall full of windows with bars on them where the prisoners are. Mm-hmm. And they have heard the true bride's lament. And the next day when they see the prince, they call out to him. Yep. And they say, Your Honor, how can you sleep at night? with the beauty singing and crying by your bed your true bride she cries i am your true bride all night and all the other prisoners chime in all night all night it was amazing and sean bean looks so confused just like the most confused little pumpkin it gave me very strong prince's bride vibes with like your true love lives and yet you marry another yes definitely had that vibe to it so we cut to a third day and anya's gonna try the third time and her new gift is endless glass beads oh they're gems okay (laughs) 
the trollop goes, oi, oi, I'm being so impatient for a new toy. Let me see, let me see. Oh, so liable, so agreeable, I need them. It was amazing. And so they strike the deal. Anya arrives for her vigil, and she sees that he's sleeping because she's done nothing differently yet again. And she just says to herself, oh, will you never wake? And then he does. Well, she, And she, like, is sitting by his bed, and she puts her head on his chest. And then he just sort of wakes up, and he's like, oh, don't cry. And he holds her in his arms, but he doesn't recognize her. Mm-hmm. He's just like, a very pretty girl is in my room at night crying on my chest. Like, please stop crying. It's going to be okay. Well, he's not the one that calls her darling. He says, oh, don't cry. And yeah. she sees him, and she goes, oh, my darling. And he doesn't say that to her. No. Because he doesn't know who she is. Yeah. And so she goes to kiss his cheek and he's like, no, not there. I promised someone that no one would ever kiss my cheek. And she's like, it was me, dumbass. It was me. (laughs) And so she does kiss his cheek and it breaks the spell. And he goes, oh, my true bride. And then then... (laughs) you do it. And then the narrator says, at the very same moment in the vaults of the castle, a strange thing happens. Yes, very odd. Um, and what has happened is that the trollop is just covered in her jewels and playing with her silks and her golden coins. And she's got her hands just like covered in them. And then suddenly they all shimmer and disappear. And she goes, oh no, come back. Oh, my goldies, my silknesses, my dye dyes which I assume is short for diamonds. I assume so, and I loved it. I could not love that anymore. That was the greatest thing ever. (laughs) And the narrator is like, too late, they've gone. And the lovers have ran off, and they're trying to go home together. But the trollop has caught up to them, basically. She's closing in, and... She's running in, like, the hoop that you put under a hoop skirt. Yeah. And bloomers and just crinolines. And she's on foot racing after them with soldiers and guns following her but like soldiers and guns from like conquistador eras they're wearing like conquistador helmets i wonder if they're like there to kidnap the prince and like bring him back to marry her under guard i have no idea we're gonna have to talk about what her plan is in the after party okay okay but good news the lovers reach aslan in time and he flies them back over the long litany of geographic land points that we did not write down before and the dog is very wide-eyed very happy that they made it the narrator tells us that the lovers arrive home and they lock the door and they catch their breath light a fire and they tell each other their stories and then and then the lion tosses his hair majestically yep um and goes off to do a final task unseen and the narrator's like who have we forgotten where is she and the dog's like, oh, the trollop? She's like miles away over a cliff. And the narrator's like, no, she's here. She's at the door. Yep. Uh, by the time that they go to bed, she's gone into the palace and she's sniffing around with her nose and she's planning revenge when she hears their words clear and unsuspecting behind the door. And so she opens the door and she steps inside and it's the door that her father fell through. And she is also falling, screaming the whole way down. Yeah, but now it's like 30 stories. Like, we see it even farther. It's it's a never-ending troll hole. Yes. So the narrator tells us that the lovers lived peacefully, that they had children and lived an endless sun, and that they built a statue to the lion, which they both decided to call the Thought Lion. You know, on account of how he came from her thought. You know, yeah. that one throwaway line from the beginning that the prince wasn't there for. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they told their children that the lion would come alive if they wanted him or if they needed him. But their children found that hard to believe. And then we just see the storyteller patting his dog and giving it a bone. The dog is still, again, just a terrifying puppet. In case you guys were thinking this is a dog, it's not a puppet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we pan over to the statue of a lion just lying down with its paws in front of it. And we zoom in on its face and its stone eyes open very slowly. And then we're done. Do you think the implication is that the narrator is a child or grandchild of Anya and the gardener? I don't know. Okay. I don't think so. I think that this is 
just somebody else who lived in that village and was around when this happened and so tells the story he's he's the gaffer from the first lord of the rings book where he's like i was there when bilbo came back and he only had two ponies full of gold and everyone's like no 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 that part is all fine i'm not asking how he knows the story i'm asking why he has the lion statue oh i think he stole it do you think he just collects artifacts from different stories and then he goes around and tells you a story about each artifact in his room i think he lives in like warehouse 13 perfect this is just like the office room of warehouse 13 perfect okay anyway the the film is over we get the credits and then we get like a jim henson power hour with kermit looking at the credits yeah this by the way was an hour-long thing but we started halfway through when you know this story actually starts because the first part is this weird uh muppet ghost story and uh didn't didn't sign up for that different podcast i didn't make that choice love made that choice but i support her i'm not playing that game we didn't do that so yeah that was that was a ride that was an incredible trip talon what are your highs and lows oh my goodness oh my goodness i don't even know where to begin uh, I, I do want to say that I enjoyed every moment of this, and this is more of a question of like what was better and what was worse, not so much a question of what was good or what was bad. Yeah. Because it was all good. I liked all of it. Yeah. I think that my high is the romance between Anya and the gardener. I oh. love that they like, get together and they fall in love, and then he disappears and she has to go and save him. And then they're reunited because of true love and it breaks the spell. It's like a subgenre of stories where like a prince is like cursed and he marries a girl and he tells her not to do this one thing. And then she does the thing. And then he's like, oh, no, if only you had waited however many years, then everything would have been fine. And then he disappears and she has to go and find him. You know, did you also watch the frog princess the other night? I, I didn't, but you know. Okay. Uh, I, anyway, I so I I really liked it. I thought it was really cute. I believe in their love. Milo is the contradiction stick. I don't like that it's called that. I don't like what it does. I don't like how often they mention that her back was black and blue. I do not like it. That is bad. That is my low. How about you? Well, you stole my low, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think my high is the moment that I recognize Sean Bean. <laughs> just like the moment of pure joy that i olivia experienced was wonderful because i was not expecting that at all so that was my high my low would be anya's accent because there is no reason <laughs> for her to have such an outrageously comedic cockney accent that's not played to comedy if you're gonna do that lean into it harder and make it funny but they don't do that they're just this is a decision we made and we don't see anything wrong with it actually. So my low is her accent. Although a a personal low moment was saying a lot of mean things about the troll daughter's dress and then being like, I would totally wear that. (laughs) Mm. Yep. So what would you change about this movie? I would really like to have seen Anya try different things each subsequent night. Mm -hmm. Like I would have liked it if she had tried to wake him up by singing the first night. And then the second night, she tried kissing him. And the the third night, she, like, smuggles in, like, a pin or a jug of water or whatever. Or, like, tries to pinch him. Like, literally anything different. Literally anything. Yeah. That's fair. How about you? I realize this is a lot for a puppet-based children's story. But I would have liked to have the troll rescue her in some way. Like, oh, your parents died and you were starving and I took you in. Just something to explain why she cared about him. Because she was genuinely concerned when he fell to his death. And he was so horrible to her that there was no reason for that. And it was very confusing for me. I think it's just meant to illustrate that she's a sweet, kind person. And they do say that he adopted an orphan girl to take care of him. Yeah, but specifically to do his chores. I wish there had been some level of nuance there just to flesh that out just the tiniest bit. Okay. Just a throwaway line of just the line being like, oh, he's so cruel to you. And she's like, no, because without him, I would have frozen or something. Right. Or like, just, he feeds me sometimes. Yeah, just a single throwaway line. And I would have been like, ah, yes, I am now grounded back in human nature. Okay. 
So do you think this is a Cinderella? No. I think this is a Cinderella. I really don't. I think it's too different. I didn't have a problem with like a troll being her father. Mm-hmm. But the fact that there's a secondary evil love interest and that the gifts don't help her meet the prince, but that they help her get him back, I feel like it puts the story in a different category. Okay, I see your point. Counterpoint, we have a mean parent figure. Uh-huh. We have the child of a mean parent figure actively trying to take the prince, actively also interested in the prince. Mm-hmm. We get a magic creature that shows up from nowhere and helps her finish tasks and Mm -hmm. takes her to the place that she wants to go. The things that he gives her do help her meet the prince because she has no other way of gaining access to his chambers. I think it's more of a class of like Cupid and Psyche setup. That's like a Beauty and the Beast story, though. Like, I think this is like an Old Testament Cinderella. Like, it's not a new... I really don't, because it goes on for longer than them getting together. And she gets her castle before she gets her prince. Yeah, I definitely agree that it's not exactly a Cinderella. But I don't... I think it's too different. I think it's close, but it's too different. Okay. I... You don't have to agree with me, but... That's what I think. Well, I'm going to have one of us is going to have to give for the spreadsheet because the spreadsheet, I don't well, have it's another your spreadsheet. So it's your call. I could put a fifth one on there of like, we don't agree. <laughs> so will you ever be watching this again? I don't know, man. I might. I feel like this would be a fun one to just make my high friends watch. And I think my husband would probably like it, too. It was really interesting. I had a really good time. I don't know that I'm going to watch it again. But if the occasion came up, like I wouldn't be mad about it. Oh, yeah, definitely not opposed to watching it again. Yeah. Do you think our listeners should watch this? Oh, my God, absolutely. You guys, this is a hoot. I was so entertained the entire time. There's so much going on. Maybe it's because I've been watching so many Cinderella's that I was like, (laughs) wow, this is different. But, like, it really kept my attention, and I was really into it the whole time. So I, I totally recommend it. What about you? Yeah, it's also only 25 minutes long. So, like... Not a big time sink. Yeah. How about you? Do you recommend it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This was uh, this was a riot. It was a little bit hard to find. Uh, it is available just online free, but you, you got to hunt for it a little bit. And it's the second half of a thing where the first half is like a Kermit the Frog based horror story. So mm. I have no idea what to tell you about that. I'm not going there. But this was really fun. So what is your final grade for this movie? This is an A+. I don't care that it's not a Cinderella. I think it's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not going to give this an A+. Plus, and I, I'm not happy about giving it an A, because that means that it's higher than the fairy tale theater Cinderella, which is breaking my heart a lot <laughs> right now. Oh, no. But I'm, I'm going to give it an A, because this was really just a wonderful experience. It was so much fun. Yeah, this was great. Who knew a puppet movie made by Jim Henson would be good? Right? Like, who knew? Who could have predicted that? (laughs) So, yeah. So, what a wonderful way to end our second season. This is so much better than the Yeshen debacle. Uh, We do not speak of that. Yeah. So, I feel like I've redeemed myself from that one. Are you taking credit for this? No, it's just that I make the schedule. And I screwed (laughs) up the Yeshen one by being like, I think this is going to be great. And then Yeshen was a nightmare. So. Okay, yes. You did a very good job selecting this. I'm pleased. I'm just happy that we ended on a high note. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Hey, guess what? What? It's episode 25 of our second season. Yes, it is. And you know what that means? We're, we're done. No, <laughs> this we're season not is done. over. <laughs> no, what it means is that we get to have our season wrap up again. So we get to do a second Cinder Emmys. Yeah. So like the season one wrap up, we're going to have some of the same questions like best and worst animated Cinderella's and our questions about traditional versus non-magical. We're going to have some old questions and some new questions as well. So we're going to discuss some different aspects of this absolutely bonkers roller coaster of a season that we all just experienced together. But same as last time, it's going to take us about a month to go through everything that we watched and come up with a good Cinder Emmys for y'all. So we'll be back on April 26th, April 25th for patrons. You can get us a day early, if you want to, with our Season 2 Cinder Emmys, which I could not be more excited about. I have so many new categories, like 
posters that have betrayed me the most. Oh, yeah. Etc. There's going to be some great stuff, guys. You're not going to want to miss the season two wrap up. Well, until then, it is almost midnight. So thanks for joining us. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating or a review. We'd love to hear from you. So follow us at CinderPod on Twitter and Instagram, like our Facebook page, or email us at the Cinderella Podcast at gmail.com. If you want bibbity bobbity bonus episodes, or to hear us discuss this week's Cinderella, but with more adult questions, language, and beverages, join us in the Ever After Party at patreon.com slash cinderpod. If you can't wait until our season wrap up and you miss us so much, this is a great option. There's a lot of content on there. You, you could check it out maybe if you're interested. It's pretty fun. Our intro music is Bad Ideas by Kevin McLeod, and you can find him at incompetech.com. So until the season wrap up, have a happily ever after. <laughs>